Chris. Welcome to the show. Hi, Frankie. Thanks for joining me today. Um, for obviously people who don't know who you are, you're an ex MMA fighter. I trained at quite a, a good gym, quite a, a reputable yeah. gym in in London with some big fighters. Um, yeah. And now you're in property development. Can you tell me sort of a bit about how you started that, how you made that transition, and and how you got to where you are now? Yeah, yeah. Um... Property, well, fighting and training has always been part of my life from a kid, really. Uh, and uh, my dad and my dad's dad, he was a builder. So through my fighting, through the training, uh, I always had uh, the property sides in the background um, because, like I said, it was just something I wanted to grow into as well. Uh, and then as I got older, <laughs> the fighting slowed down, a uh, bit more time. Uh, with the property um to be honest uh, uh bought my first house and my dad really helped me renovate it and uh, just like it was quite enjoyable seeing the finished product you know when you when you, when you buy something that's pretty much uh derelict and you do it all up you know glazing plumbing electrics the whole thing and then the finished product when you're sitting in your front room having a beer <laughs> uh, yeah. it just felt good it just felt good it felt like i achieved something you know um, yeah, so that was uh, that's how it started. That was like the first sort of transition. Uh, I just got a passion for it, and I just thought, "Oh, this is amazing! Let's do it again." Um, so how, how old was you when you very first started? Um, bought my first property in uh, two thousand and one. So that's like twenty two years ago now. So it's what uh, twenty twenty three. Bloody hell, it's young, isn't it? Yeah, that was young. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was fortunate as well because I was a diamond setter for a while. Uh, yeah, in Hand Garden. So my dad was a manager in one of the big companies there, and uh, I didn't know where I wanted to go. So I just wanted to fight when I was, <laughs> you know, when I was growing. I just wanted to fight. You know, I did karate as well. Playing uh, with diamonds and fighting don't normally go yeah, hand so... in hand, does it? <laughs> 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 and then my dad was like, what are you going to do with your life? I was like, well, I just want to, you know, do competitions and fight and do this and do that. And he was like, that's great as a hobby, he said. But, you know, karate and kickboxing at the time, I mean, we're going back, well, I said I was 17, uh, a long time ago. There's no money in it. Like, there was no money in it back then at all, you know. <laughs> um, so uh, he said, come and work with us. So I said, OK, I'll come work with you. Um, so yeah, that's how I got into the diamond set inside. So I worked with my dad, um, but it was good money, which helped me save and get on the ladder, get on the property ladder. Um, and yeah, that's why I, I suppose I was quite young when I got into it. Uh, but also, house prices, I suppose, back then weren't what they are now. <laughs> yeah. uh, house prices now are just like ridiculously high compared to like the average salary. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's what got my foot in the door, really, uh, making the money for the diamond setting and then um yeah using that money to invest really uh, got a taste for it so how so i was talking to one of my friends who's a cage fighter brad who's been on the show as well yeah. he he's my age so he's 30 31 when he started he was about 17 as well um yeah. but there was no gyms really to train so he had to travel into london obviously you must have started yeah. probably 10 years before he did like, yeah. How, where, how did you find the passion to it, or, or where did you find the gyms? How did you know that was what you wanted to do as well? Yeah, good question actually, because it was tough. We had no internet back then. When no. I was, 
I was what I was probably 13 when I started to sort of want to do martial arts. Uh, and I was 15 when I first started doing martial arts. So that is 31 years ago. <laughs> so there was <laughs> 46 this year. That's why. So yeah, there was there was there wasn't anything. Uh, like I said, there's no internet back then. We weren't like you know, and there was no adverts. It was tough. It was. It sounds like it's just posters on walls. Uh, see magazines. Um, uh, Fighter magazine. I don't even know if that exists anymore. There's a magazine called Fighter. Uh, there was a magazine called Combat. Um, or oh, was another? There was a third one. Uh, it was just magazines, uh, and I'd pick them up. And you see, like uh, mainly back then, it was like, like traditional arts, like karate, taekwondo, uh, jujitsu, blah blah blah. And um, I've been, oh, I want to do this, I want to do that. Um, and I know it sounds like watching films as well, you know, like when you're a kid growing up, you know, watching like Bruce Lee of my era, Bruce Lee, you know, uh, Jackie Chan, even like. And just seeing them fighting, you think, oh, and then you just start buying magazines. Like, oh, I want to, you know, what's, what style is he doing? What style was that? You know, and then that's how I sort of got into it slowly. Just what style was he, was that style of fighting in the film I saw? And it was tough. I'm not going to lie, because it was not much information back then. Um, and then I found my first club I found was uh, ninjutsu, which is, uh, I don't know if you've heard of ninjutsu, but ninjutsu is the art of once you've mastered it, you become a ninja. It's the Japanese, yeah. So it's the Japanese military art, ninjutsu. Yeah. So I lived in, always lived in East London. I grew up in East London, uh, and this and this club was um, in uh, Camberwell, South London. Mm. Uh, and my poor dad <laughs> uh, drove me there uh, every day for a year, uh, for twice a week. Every uh, twice a week, sorry, uh, for a year. Um, and that, yeah, it was too much for him with work. I was only 15, so it was a miles away. So I had to quit that. So I stopped doing ninjutsu. But I enjoyed that art because it was, a, like I said, it was a, it was a military-based Japanese art. So uh, it was weapons as well. Um, it, it was all sorts of crazy. To be fair, it was quite crazy, crazy martial art. Um, and then when I stopped that, I started training in Whitechapel, um, Bethnal Green, KO clubs, kick the Thai mm-hmm. boxing, like the Muay Thai. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, just with a friend of mine who has also enjoyed it. So we should just get the train together um, from East London and just, well, we were like Manor Park base, Upton Park, Manor Park, that, those areas at the time, and just go head towards Whitechapel, uh, Bethnal Green. Um, and we're training up there for a long time. Um, yeah, and then obviously, that again, I was, what, 16, 17 when I was doing that. So, again, it was just not much information out there, just... I saw a word on the street. What well, this club's good, you know. They've got great fighters there. Go there, go here. Um, yeah, tough, easier nowadays. You could just log on, yeah. <laughs> and there's so many reviews, right? I mean, you could review anything. When I when I trained that Titan, um, yeah, it was easy. I mean, it was word of mouth as well. Don't get me wrong, but it, you know, they've got a website, you can see where it is, and it just makes things easier to be fair, a lot easier. That's some good fighters are tight as well. So I, I suppose it kind of enticed people to talk about it more. So you had Mark Potter, um, Carlos yeah. Amola. Um, That's it. You can't really get, obviously, Mark yeah. was a boxer, God rest his soul. But yeah. within the MMA, when he when he moved into MMA, you're not going to get much better than him. And obviously, Carlos ripped and it up. Carlos, yeah. And we had Brad Pickett there as well. Yeah. Um, you know, so we had some some good fighters there, big names. Um yeah, so I just I just went and then I just uh, messaged uh, Mickey Mickey Pappas, and just said, look, you know, I've got 
kickboxing backgrounds, really. Uh, done some karate as well and blah, blah, blah. Never done any real grappling. Um, and that's why I started. I just wanted to learn how to do grappling, really, because <laughs> it's a completely yeah. different art altogether, right? Uh, being on your feet is one thing. Uh, when you get thrown on the floor, it's a different ball game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, uh, so I've, I've been brought up as a boxer. So my, my dad was a, a pro, my brother was a pro, one was a, an amateur champion. So I've always done boxing. Okay. And um, I remember, so my brother used to own uh, CFC with, with Alan. And yeah. I remember uh, he, one of the coaches there was doing something in Loughton. So my brother was like, oh, go down and learn. <laughs> Got yeah. the, so I threw a kick him. I was like, oh, I don't even know. I don't even want to do this. <laughs> Where did that come from? <laughs> it's, uh, it's mental. Like how many different ways people like just do things, yeah. and I've always just been brought up yeah. boxing, stand, stand in front, throw your punches, slip, and that's it. But <laughs> someone goes for your legs, that's it. You're screwed, aren't you? Yeah, you are. You are. But then the opposite as well. I mean, uh, with Mickey, uh, I think where I was, I was. I would say I was better with my legs and my knees uh, and the close like grappling, uh, like the elbows, than my boxing, if that makes sense, uh, my tight boxing skills. Uh, I was better at kicking and stuff. So uh, sometimes Mickey would just get me boxing. And mm. I found that really alien because if mm -hmm. I got cornered a bit, I just wanted to kick. <laughs> so it was the opposite for me. I just thought, well, I could tee kick out of this. I could throw a strong roundhouse kick to the shin or to the, someone's knee mm. and that'd get me out of trouble. Where uh, Mickey will be like, no, keep your feet on the floor, <laughs> don't lift those <laughs> knees up, keep grounded, and box your way out of it. And it was weird. It was weird not being able to, you know, throw my weapon, which I suppose was my roundhouse kick. I always had a great roundhouse kick. I've knocked out quite a lot of people with just a roundhouse kick to the head. Uh, I was quite quick and I had flexibility and I had power at that height. That was what it was. It, it had a lot of power uh, at that height where a lot of people you know, could kick hard, obviously, to the midsection and blah, blah, blah. Uh, but obviously you lose a bit of power as you go up, but I had a lot of power in the high kick, so mm. I could fake a punch or fake something, I'd throw a roundhouse kick and people didn't expect it. <laughs> uh, yeah. so. With me as well, it's obviously boxing, you're, if you you get told, if you take your feet off the floor, you're off balance and you're over, so to throw yeah. a kick, to me, I feel like I'm just going to fall over. Like, right. I've never even had a street fight where I've, I've thrown a kick. To me, it's just such a take me off balance so much that right, yeah. do you know what I mean it's, it's such a yeah. way of like when you listen to you that you, you'd prefer to stand on one leg and, and use one of your limbs <laughs> yeah. I don't like, it's, it's a weird concept to me but obviously yeah. it's weird to you for me to say that I want to keep both feet planted <laughs> yeah same I think it's the stance you know I think boxing stance is a little bit more side on oh. where whereas a kickboxer or an MMA fight you're a bit more square on so I think you're balance is a little bit better because we're more square on anyway and then when we do transition to one leg it I don't know it just well it just feels right I don't know it's hard it just feels yeah. I feel, I feel in balance I mean don't get me wrong I would never throw a head kick in the street fight <laughs> <laughs> as much as I've won a lot of fights with head kicks like, like that's in a controlled environment the reason mm. I wouldn't do it in the street fight is um we don't know what you're standing on. First of all, I mean, the streets are not a canvas, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, and you don't. I just wouldn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> I'll stick to the knee kicks and um, mainly leg kicks. Yeah. <laughs> not that I get to not, not that I get to street fights, but I'm just saying, like, uh, no, I don't no. use head kicks in a street fight. No, I no. So, so what what do you think is the best discipline to learn if you're going into MMA? Like, what's the most effective out of all of them? 
I know there's no straight answer here, but uh, yeah, um, I think I'm biased because of the Mai Tai kickboxing, only because there is an element of grappling on your feet. You know, you could get the clinch, uh, the elbows, the knees, so you get to use uh, eight limbs in one way. You know, you got your you got your your punches and your elbows, which is four ways of striking, and then you got your kicks and your knees. Uh, and then you've got the clinch. Um, I think it's a good way to keep someone off you. Obviously, you know, if you're MMA, it's the takedown element. Um, but, you know, you've got some good fighters like Izzy, who's hard to take down, you know, and he's a kickboxing background. And, it, and yeah, I think if you've got a good takedown defence, I think um, Muay is, I think, is probably the best one on your feet. I mean, I'm biased, I'm biased to that because <laughs> I've done that all my life. And then you get people like Khabib who could just take you down. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then I suppose it doesn't matter how good a, a, a striker you are. If someone's that good, I mean, I'm sure. I mean, he's a different. I mean, he's a different kettle of fish. I mean, Khabib. There's not many people like him that can nah. get you down like that as easy as that as well. But you know, then you've got that element as well, haven't you? If, if once you're on the floor, then the tight boxing's gone, hasn't it? I mean, there's there's nothing else. They don't teach you anything. Yeah. <laughs> teach you anything at all, so it's game over. <laughs> yeah. I think for me, I think the best one I'd love to learn is is um like Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. I yeah. think that feels probably like the best discipline in all aspects of life. Like even if you're yeah. in like a bar like if if I have kids, I think I'll be teaching them that. Because if you get in a bar fight or something like that, it's the knowing how to sort of like twist your way out of things, which is I know, yeah. yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's, I know what you mean, yeah. Yeah, I um the, the karate I did. Um, so I'm gonna plug my old coach a little bit. Uh, he it was Ren Shinkai. Um, and my coach was Greg Wallace, and he was a Sheehan. And at the time, it means it was eighth Dan. And this was we're going back when I was 17. Mm. He was an eighth Dan. He was the highest ranking Dan in the country. Uh, he's in actually he's in the Hall of Fame, the American Hall of Fame. Uh, he's been in that for three times. He has. Um, in the 70s, he was like bare knuckle fighter and blah blah blah. And he trained uh, in Seven Kings. Uh, and anyway, Greg Wallace. And even though it was karate that I did with him, it was more street based karate where it wasn't designed for competition like Shotokan. Shotokan is a bit more just competition karate. So we learned a lot of locks in, in Renshinkai. We learned a lot of locks. Um, we learned some ground stuff as well. Um, and yeah, if somebody grabbed you by the arm or the wrist or the shirt or by the neck, we learned we learned a lot of that stuff in Renshinkai. Mm. So that that is useful with the locks, definitely. So I agree with the I mean also Brazilian Jitsu is another level, but I agree with what you're saying, like in day-to-day stuff, the locks can help. Yeah. You know, um, a lot. Yeah. So. Oh definitely. Did you ever do any like apart from obviously at Titan with when you was doing a bit of boxing then, did you ever Think about doing boxing seriously. Or was that just not not even on your radar? No, to be honest, uh, just found it hard to keep my feet on the ground. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I didn't. Um, don't know. Uh, I enjoyed the boxing, but um, uh, not enough to just do boxing. Mm. Um, but uh, I believe definitely that boxing should be part of MMA because mm. training at Titan with the boys there. Definitely drilling the boxing definitely makes your hand speed better and your head movement better. We don't get that with the tie boxing and the kickboxing because you more square on, you, the focus isn't so much on that head movement. So 
boxing has definitely got a big part, I think, in MMA. And then when you see like some of the really good MMA fighters who are good kickboxers, they've also got great head movement because they've done boxing mm. and they've got good hand speed. So, yeah, I think boxing uh, in the MMA world is a bit underrated, but I think people should do boxing. And in Titan, they did focus on boxing a lot, uh, as well as obviously everything else. But that was one focus was boxing. You just look at Mark, though. Obviously, Mark was yeah. never going to sort of learn how to grapple. And, and I'm not saying he would have ever gone to UFC and, and made it there either. But on like a British scene level, a European scene level, you couldn't get close to him because his hands were just too fast. And he weren't even necessarily a really fast boxer, but considering other MMA fighters, the the hand speed sort of people didn't really see it coming, did they? No, exactly that. And this is why I think uh, like Mickey, Mickey Pappas as well was like, look, the the hand speed in boxing is just uh, second to none. Like you know, if you can if you can get that hand speed from boxing drills and boxing training then that you can always transition that into MMA and throw the old elbow in the kicks and blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, Mickey was a big supporter of boxing mm. uh, in MMA. And, uh, well, like you said, Mark Potter, I mean, yeah, he, he a big guy, obviously, so obviously not a heavy guy, so heavyweight, so it's not, uh, but his hand speed was still fast, you know, and, mm. uh, yeah, people couldn't get, well, he couldn't, couldn't get that close to him. He just, too quick, <laughs> you know, other guys his size were just, you know, they, they, he was picking them off, wasn't he? Like, you know, um, yeah. So, yeah, definitely boxing. Um, I, I do enjoy the training side, but I just don't see it as my number one thing. I just feel, I feel like when I'm on the ropes, I just want to get my knees in, <laughs> my, get those low kicks in. And uh, I don't know, I just thought it was, maybe because I was young and I've always done kickboxing from a young age, it's been drilled into me. It does mm. kicks in uh, and the knees want to knee someone when they get close. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I got brought up in quite a lot of fight fan. Although my, my family of boxing backgrounds he predominantly is a, a very sort of street fighting family. My old man's 88, so when he was growing up, this is all you ever done, just sort yeah. of tear-ups. And I always say to my mate Brad, I was like, I, I couldn't be an MMA fighter because if someone sort of lent on me, like yeah. I, my first thing to be taught is to, to like bite them or go through like, <laughs> things like that and I don't I yeah. don't know like how you keep your head like is it is it just because you know that you're in a competition you know you're in like that kind of fight that you automatically don't yeah. do it or is there ever like times when you think right this is getting a bit much now I've got to go a bit dirty like do you know what I mean like, I, I, I couldn't yeah. get discipline like, where do you get that from I think uh I think because it is a controlled environment mm. uh so um Okay, you might have to take a few before some some refs are not great at stopping fights, but there is a ref there, you know. And if you're getting pummeled, you know eventually someone's going to help you out. But I think in a street fight situation, I've been in the past, you would headbutt or bite or eye gouge because there's no one there to protect you, is there? There's no one to stop it. You don't know how far in that situation the other person's going to take it, right? I mean, there's no one to help you out. So mm. I think. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's that for me. That's never, yeah, I've never headbutted or bitten anyone in a competition. Yeah. <laughs> Not in a competition. I just, I don't know. Maybe, I, maybe I did. I've never had that fear. You know, like mm. knowing it's a controlled environment. I've never had that fear of well, okay, I could get knocked out. Obviously, you can, you get hurt. I mean, you see at MMA fights. I mean, people the blood baths, but. It's gonna. It's a still control. I know it sounds crazy. It's still controlled, isn't it? Like you yeah. still got a ref there, and you still got someone who's gonna help you out. Mm. In the street fight, 
there isn't that. So I suppose mm. it's the fear of, well, who's going to stop it if this if I can't help myself out of this situation? I've got to do what I can. The, so yeah, you head back, you bite. I don't know. You do what you do what you can. Eye gouge. That's probably why, because I've never thought of it as a fear. So that's probably why I thought if I do, if I ever did MMA, my fear yeah. would be still there because I'm not a trained in that sense, if you know what I mean. So my fear right. is still there from maybe I'll get my arm broke. So I've got to try and get right. out. Yeah, yeah. I suppose that's yeah. why I've always thought, thought I'd, be, I'd be sort <laughs> of like not undisciplined. But I suppose if you are just training and, and you have the discipline because you have trained, it is yeah. so I've never thought about doing it with gloves, well, with mm. like boxing, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're a young guy still. You've got loads of time. <laughs> <laughs> My fighting days are over. I uh, I played ice hockey. I went pro ice hockey. So I had the chance to go uh, professional boxer or professional ice hockey when I was 16. Oh, Chose okay. hockey because my dad sort of moved me away from it. And uh, I got a two-year ban for fighting in there and never really been oh. able to go back again. <laughs> so I think my fighting <laughs> days are over. I've learned my lesson. I don't play the sport I, I love anymore because of fighting. So. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, when I was when I was a kid, my mum was like, "You're not boxing because you like you could get uh in the ring yeah. fighting." I probably yeah. had as many fights on the ice than I would have had in the ring growing up. <laughs> <anybody. about> <laughs> <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> but, I know. I watch ice hockey sometimes. It cracks me up. <laughs> they just they just tee off basically, don't you? <laughs> I'm glad you didn't know much about the sport back then, to be honest with you. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't be allowed to play that either. <laughs> no. <laughs> exactly. So, did you... So, you was, you was fighting alongside doing your property development. So, yeah. So, like, tell me how... Like, did that get in the way of each other? Or was, was that just sort of... You knew that was just a hobby and you kind of started backing away from the fight in the, the, the sort of... Yeah, bigger, bigger levels you was getting in the development side. Yeah, no, no, you're right. Yeah, I just um, it was yeah, it started becoming more of a hobby. Uh, I got married when I was thirty as well, and I just wanted, you know, I've got two kids now, and, and so I just yeah, I could just see the property side's gonna bring money, you know, stability. I could have a family, blah blah blah. So yeah, slowly, slowly. Um, um, yeah, the fighting side. I, mean, I, I still train. I love training, but um, injuries as well. You know, when you get injuries, it's, it's not good. I've had two ops, two shoulder ops off the back of just wear and tear and training for like, God, what, since I was 15? So 30 years of, 30 years of training is a long time. <laughs> it's a long time, you know, it takes its toll eventually. So, um, yeah, I still love it. I will never stop training, uh, but you wouldn't get me fighting again like in, it wouldn't get me in the, in the cage or anything like that uh, no. yeah I, I, I like my brain yeah the property side definitely do you know what I like the I like the property side because I still like I like the hustle and bustle of it I like you know finding the sites uh, doing the deal um, there's, there's a lot of excitement in that because you don't know you're going to get it and you've got to you know negotiate uh yeah, I love that aspect of it. Uh, so, talk me through how it works then. So, from from bef- before you've even identified a site, tune in, completion, sold off, got your money, kind of thing. Like, what is that whole process, and and how do you sort of go about each step? So, finding the sites is the hardest hardest bit. Um, I mean, there's loads of sites out there, but most of them that 
that that gets sent to you are have been around the block if that makes sense so like, you know, say oh we've got this off-market opportunity it's not off-market it Okay, it's not been advertised, but they've shown it to every developer <laughs> going. <laughs> Everyone knows about it. So, yeah, the hardest bit is finding the sites. Uh, and then once you do find the sites, it's the, it's the, the initial part is time-consuming. It's, it's doing the appraisal to see, does it work? Because nine times out of ten, uh, landowners want too much money for the land because uh, they, they see the end value. Uh, you know, what can it be worth uh, when it's all finished? the problem that I miss out is well the, the building aspects of it like the cost of building it the professional fees the finance fees and I should Adam spoke about finance but yeah it's all the finance stuff uh and all that big chunk is a big chunk of money <laughs> um so yeah it's it's uh it's tough so my days predominantly is identifying a site uh doing my research doing my due diligence you know is the land value worth what it is and the only way you get true land value true residual value is to work backwards so you you say right let's say for example there's five houses on the site you say okay each house is a million pounds so you've you know it's the site finish is worth five million uh and you and and left by talking to local agents doing your per square foot price um and a lot of research goes into getting that actual value so once you've got that value, and let's like I say, if I can say the same million pound per house, five houses, five million pounds, then you work backwards. What's it going to cost me to build those five houses? You know, not just the the internals, but the externals, the landscaping, blah, 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 blah. Let's say it costs two million pounds, for argument's sake. Then it's like, right, okay, now I've got my professional fees, but architect fees, engineers, utilities, blah, blah, blah. So all that, all those costs are costs. And yes, you can you can maybe save five percent here and there. But predominantly, most of those costs are pretty much are what they are. You know, you might get it built for two mil, you might get it built for one point nine, you might get it built for two point one. But you're more or less going to be around that two mil figure again with professional fees. You know, architects, engineers, blah blah blah. Their fees are more or less the same as well. They don't vary from architect to architect too much. So then, once you've got your development costs, and you've taken that away from the from the five mil, then obviously you've got the finance costs, uh, which they are what they are as well. And then it's your margin, you know, what, what do you want to make uh, and, and how much money do you have to put in um, to what you're willing to risk? Um, and then when you've minus all that, that's the residual value for the land, you know, and, and if that comes to one mil, then that's the true value of the land, uh, where some, some a lot of agents and a lot of landowners don't value it like that. They try to value it on the old uh, rule of thumb of a third to a third. So they'll just say, right, okay, it's worth five million. I want 1.8 million for the site. It doesn't work like that because it could be a complicated build. It could be, um, uh, there's a lot of factors that can affect that. And before you know it, you spent over two mil on the build. Uh, now you're nearly at a four mil and uh, you still got a professional fees, finance fees, and you've got to make money out of it, you know? So um, it's tough. So my day's eaten up by appraising sites. Uh, most of them don't work. Uh, so I might look at 50 sites. You still got to appraise all 50. Uh, and out of the 50, I might end up with five that I think work. And then, then you, then you've got to start negotiating with the landowner, you know, um, and then you've got other developers out there who um, I would say they're not seasoned developers who don't quite know the whole ins and outs of developing. And then they outbid you. And then you start again. <laughs> it's tough to be honest. It's not an easy game. It is tough. <laughs> so how do you find the sites in the first place then? 
um, old school way I am. Um, Adam tried to introduce me to some networking stuff, uh, which I've been to, and, and it's been good. Uh, I think, well, I've known a lot of people from being in gyms and, you know, boxing gyms and blah, blah, because everyone trains, right? Whether you're a solicitor, an estate agent, you know, if, when you go to a gym, uh, you get all sorts of professionals in there. And where I've been going in and out of gyms for 20 odd years, I've just made a lot of friends. And, uh, oh, I know someone who knows someone. And, and basically, that's how I've got to a position where, you know, I've got a friend, I've got a state agent friend now who I've known for years. So they're like, oh, Chris, you know, I've got a site. Are you interested in it? Yeah, yeah. I get a look at it. If it's not for me, then they'll send it to the next person. Um, but yeah, it's more word of mouth for me and just going out there, having a, having a beer with someone. Quite <laughs> That's how I yeah go out and do. That's how I met Adam actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was like, "Should go out and have a drink." I was like, "Yeah, yeah." We was out. I think we were together for less than two hours, and he was inviting me on holiday and everything. <laughs> <laughs> He's um, a serial networker, isn't he, Adam? I don't. I don't know. He is like a serial networker. I mean, I thought I'd network. God, he he, he networks. <laughs> <laughs> But it's important, right? Yeah. It's important, I think. Um, you know, like online stuff and, you know, uh, writing letters, uh, I don't know, emails to people, uh, online activity. Your personality doesn't come across on that, you know. And, and if if you're writing to an agent or picking up the phone to an agent and saying, oh, you know, my name's Chris, have you got any site? You know, why is he going to remember me? You know, why would he pick up the phone and say, Oh, I've got a great site. I'm going to give it to Chris. You know, there's no reason to. If you go out, network, have a few beers, build a rapport with them. And like, oh, I remember Chris. You know what? I know. You know, and, and you come to mind, don't you? And like, oh, let me give him a. I'll give him a shout first, and and then obviously uh, reputation as well. I, I, I've you know, if I say I'm going to buy something, I've always bought it. You know, I've done my numbers, so I know it works. And then I put my money where my mouth is always. That's another thing. Where that's why I think I get repeat business from agents say Chris do you want to buy this because uh, a lot of people say yeah yeah yeah, I'll buy it and then last minute they pull it out yeah. and that's not good for anyone you know so once I'm committed I think again that goes back to my discipline of martial arts like if I shake someone's hand that's it that's a deal like I'm, I, I won't back out like, you know yeah. and uh, and if I'm not comfortable I won't I won't do the deal I just I won't promise anything I'll just say look I need more time and if so you, you don't have any more time because you want to get well okay I'd rather lose the deal uh, then shake on it, and then two days later, actually, I can't do the deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, just, it's not the way I work, you know. I just, I'd rather uh, yeah. do the deal, and it's done. Yeah, I'm, I'm exactly the same as you. Like, I'm so sales wise, I've been a salesman, but ugh, I hate the, the the word salesman. But I've been in sales my whole life, uh, whether it's been my own businesses or other companies. Mm-hmm. I've always done that type of work, and uh, yeah, I just think if you go out for a beer with someone. You can be with someone for two hours. You don't even talk about work for that two hours. No, but you still yeah. do a deal a week later because now yeah. you've got that relationship and you didn't even exactly. really talk about work. And I'm a massive believer in that. And then, as you said, you shake hands, you shake hands. To me, that's that's yeah. the uh, that, yeah. that's the way you 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 got to do deals. Like, I'm severely dyslexic, so I can't stand reading emails. Like, it's, it's a pain yeah. for me to read and write emails all the time. But if yeah, I yeah. up and we meet and we shake hands and things like that, to me, that's as good yeah. as any emails. Putting it in writing to me is my shaking hands kind of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah but, no, I agree with you totally. 
I've had it before. So I've got a um, film production company and was doing a documentary about COVID. And we had someone putting yeah. money for it. Uh, we had two people putting money for it, actually. Both of them shake hands on it, going to put the money in, going to fund the whole documentary. And then yeah. one of them a day before, or no, a day of when the money was supposed to land, yeah. completely just ignored me, hadn't spoke to him for about, like, I lost contact with him for about three months because then they just pulled out and obviously too embarrassed to, to sort of say yeah. they're going to do it. And then another one uh, rang me up sort of night before and pulled out on it I was like we shook hands on, on that like yeah. I kind of lost yeah. another deal because I I thought you yeah. were in it but unfortunately that's how people work sometimes you've got to just try and learn how to read them isn't you really no exactly that um, I did a I did a, a land deal uh, in COVID 2020 uh, well I met I met the landowner January beginning mm. of January 2020 and uh we shook hands, done the deal, um, and then obviously all, all the COVID kicked in, the lockdowns, and and there was massive uncertainty. Like I mean, massive uncertainty in in all the markets. Um, and uh, I still felt, carried on with the deal. Um, I just believed that we, you know, um, we can still build for it. And um, yeah, we still did the deal. And he said to me, "Well, I mean, off the back of that, he's he's got more sites for me, which is brilliant because I, I followed through on the deal." And then he just remembers. Uh, out of all the deals he had, I was one of the few deals that went through because I, was just stuck, I shook hands and stuck to my word. But you know, I'm I'm reaping the benefits now, you know, um, from that because he's given me great sights uh, and he knows I'm good for it. If I shake hands with him, he knows I'll follow it through. If I follow it through in, in a pandemic, I'm going to follow it through now, right? You know, mm-hmm. and um, sometimes people don't see the long game, you know, in this industry and well, in any industry, I suppose. <clears throat> I just I don't believe in getting rich off one deal. You know, I think that's the wrong way to think. I think uh, you put the hard work in and you can make money uh, long term. As long as everyone's happy, and everyone's making money, you ca- you all carry on making money, right? And if you try to stitch someone up or or you try to get make as much as you can out of one deal, then those people won't come back to you. They won't, they'll think, oh, I'm not going to offer Chris a site because he really, really squeezed me on that site. <laughs> you know, uh, why should I go to him? You know, I think a fair price for anything is a fair price for anything and just go ahead with it. Um, mm. But yeah, no, definitely uh, tough. But that's why I enjoy it as well, because I like a challenge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Does anyone really get richer for one deal, though? Like, obviously, you hear glory stories of someone making like millions and millions of a one deal. But really, yeah. like, the, the, the real true day, day, day to day, you don't really ever get richer for one deal in, in no. whatever industry, do you? So you, no, you don't. By being greedy, you, you are just losing out on, on whatever you're going to need in the future. Yeah, a lot of people don't see the bigger picture, you know. That's why I've got, yeah, I just I hear things that anything, like any industry, like whether you're, a, well, I was a jeweller, when I was in the diamond game, watches. Oh, yeah, I've got that much for that watch. Yeah, I've got, I've got a grand over it. Mate, that guy's not going to buy anything off you again, you know. Like, if he's a guy who's got a few quid, or people hear that, you, you know, you you overcharged him for something, people are not going to want to buy a watch off you again, are they? <laughs> you know, as simple as that. It's your small, you know, you're building, the way I try to see, I'm, you know, maybe not building a brand, but you are, you know, you you are your reputation, aren't you? Like, uh, in, in the industry and people talk, you know, and people will soon find out if you're that sort of person and they won't want to do a deal with you. They'll be like, oh, he's difficult, don't do a deal with him or, Oh, he backs out last week. It, 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 word does get around. Uh, mm-hmm. People do talk uh, everywhere. So, um, yeah, you, definitely, I think, stick to your word. 
Yeah, definitely. Do you do you work alone or have you got like a team around you? Um, <clears throat> I've got a team. Uh, um, I've got like planning guys that I talk to uh, and architects, but predominantly I work on my own. But yeah, I mean, obviously Adam does my, my development finance. Um, so yeah, I've got, uh, I say I've got a team, not a team that I've got, I pay, <laughs> I don't employ them, but I've got a team of individuals who I've worked with for six, seven, eight years now. And I know that I can pick up the phone to them and say, does this site work? You know, like, can I get planning on it? So I'll speak to a planning guy. Or once I know all that, I pick up the phone to Adam and say, look, I've got a deal. These are the numbers. What rates can you get me? Or or can, can I get borrowing on this sort of deal? You know, or can you, how can you structure it? So, yeah, I mean, knowing people like that is brilliant because you could just pick up the phone and then they'll say yes or no. And that just makes my life a lot easier than uh, cold calling a random broker or planning guy, you know, uh, and then they bill you as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Adam's a cheap date. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just give a whiskey and it's white. That's what I mean. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I've got a team. Uh, I don't hire, but I've got a team around me yeah, that helped me out. Yeah, nice. So, like, what kind, of, what size sites are you looking for now? Like, what, what kind? Obviously, you started off with your dad on a sort of refurb kind of deal, weren't it? Now, yeah. Now, what are you going for? So now, the last site we just built and we're selling at the moment was seven houses in Cuffley. Um, nice houses, uh, five bedroom, three four bedroom houses. Um, yeah, so that was a that was a big site. Um, done one in Braintree, nine houses in Braintree. Nice. Um, got three in Canterbury. I'm working on planning, uh, and I've got uh, a few more in planning uh, for five more units. And so yeah, I would say I would do anything between two and ten. Mm. Um, find that's a sweet spot for me. I can instead of doing. I could do like a bigger site, maybe 20, 30 units, but I'll, I don't want to have all my eggs in one basket. That's another thing that I don't believe in. Like I, don't, I want to diverse, you know, I want to spread my risk. <laughs> like yeah. I, I don't want to, because yeah, like you can get burnt, right? Uh, I'd rather have three deals on the go uh, and like five, five, five houses and have my money spread than just have 15, 20 houses and have all my money in one deal and something goes wrong and, and then or you can't get your money out for years because you can't sell every, you know, it's, it's tough like that. So, yeah, I, I could do bigger stuff. I mean, I'm equipped enough, builders and stuff, but I choose not to. I choose to stick to that under 10 mm. units. And this is a blinding deal. One of the old glory stories. Sorry? One of the old glory stories. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that happen, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, how yeah. does someone start in in being a property developer like how'd you go about getting into it i think uh predominantly uh start in your area start start where you live so because we it's really hard to appraise uh stuff like houses and flats because you would know in your your area you know one side of the street might be more expensive than the other side of the street and that wouldn't tell you by looking on right move or you know um or doing per square foot price it, that it wouldn't tell you that you wouldn't know that so if you start off in your own area and you know uh what a three bed or a four bed house is worth that's a good start because you know the expensive roads you know the, the you know the, the rubbish roads the good roads blah 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 that's just uh 
fundamental stuff that you know you need to know as a developer because you need to know the the resale price then once you know the area then when you see a house for sale you know it's a good deal before you have to do too much number crunching you know immediately well if if, if a house is worth 500 grand and they want 200 for it and you know straight away well actually there's enough room in that to to renovate or, or do what you've got to do um to make money um that's how i started anyway with the renovations i knew the area and I knew roughly it was going to cost to to plumb it and electric and blah blah blah, um, and then you learn experience. I just learned from that. I I, I learned what um, I should be paying to, to for second fix, um, and then um, I took a big gamble and I bought a plot of land, which is my house now. I'm living in, and uh, and, and that's what pushed me to new builds. So I bought a plot of land. Again, it was a risk because I didn't know what I was doing. I've never built from the ground up. But I was going to live in it. And I thought, and even if I get it slightly wrong and it costs me more than it should do as a business, I'm going to live in it. So it doesn't really matter if I spend I don't know, 20, 30% more because I'm going to live there and I'll get my money back one day. But it was a, a great learning curve because I met loads of people building it, you know, loads of subbies, uh, architects and blah, blah, blah. And then once I finished building my own house, I knew the ins and outs of the process, you know, purchasing the land going through planning, blah, 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 blah. So I've done the whole process on a small scale, one house, but it's still the same process. Mm. And then I'm like, right, now let's duplicate that <laughs> and do it again and let's do it a bit bigger. Um, and then, yeah, just, just started learning like that, really. So, uh, self-taught, I suppose. I never really didn't go to college. Like, I didn't, you know, I didn't do any courses, how to develop. Uh, just self-taught uh, people around me, just like listening to them as well. Mm. Um, yeah, that's how I got here. <laughs> yeah. So, what what's your your driving factor behind what you do? Like, what motivates you on a day to day basis? Um, I I get a buzz from doing a deal. I suppose, like, uh, obviously, got a family, so uh, I want to provide for the kids. I want them to, you know, uh, grow up and go to decent schools and blah 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 I suppose when I was a kid I grew up in Canning Town Upton Park uh council flats you know my mum and dad didn't have much money um they're always there for us my mum and dad helped us in every way they could just didn't have much money you know and uh and it's tough when you don't have a lot of money you know it's it's tough to to get places so yeah I was always in the back of my head when it thought I don't want to have that financial struggle and uh, now I've got a family, yeah, it would be nice to leave something behind for them to continue with, you know, a business like that they can hopefully, if they want to, that is, <laughs> sort of step into and, and, and have a family business and they can, and then I can sit back yeah. <laughs> and retire. I could be on the beach and I could pick up the phone and say, say my son has the business going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he's working for me. He can make me some money now. Be cheap employee as well, wouldn't it? <laughs> Be a cheap employee as well. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So uh, yeah, just just I've always been driven. Uh, uh, always. Uh, I don't know. Um, in everything I do, I just uh, I'm a bit of a perfectionist like that. I just I, I won't stop unless I I achieve it. I just have to hit that goal. Uh, and I have small goals in between. Don't be wrong. And I think that that's the other thing why it keeps me going. Um, it's baby steps, right? If you, it, I know the overall goal where I want to be, and if you've got the the little goals in between, 
uh, I think that's what keeps you motivated a lot because each time you hit a goal, you feel good, mm. you know? But if you just look at the, the, the end goal, that could be a long way. And then you can get lost in the middle, you know? Uh, so I think having loads of small goals leading up to your big goal is a big driver to get in there. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, I've, I've been listening to um, people recently been saying about have a goal so big you might never reach it. But as you say, because yeah. like, obviously if you don't reach that goal, you've still gone pretty high kind of thing. But as yeah. you say, having them small goals are so fundamental because you can you can lose sight in what you're actually trying to achieve. Because like, so if your goal is that big and you're, you're sort of not feeling like you're getting closer... Like you yeah. might be. I mean, everything you build yeah. foundations, and then all of a sudden the foundation's yeah. built. You, like yeah. the house goes up quicker than what everyone thinks, but you'll see yeah. you built the foundations and took the time first. So I think that's the same as achieving goals. But then yeah. them little steps and them little processes, obviously, yeah, hundred percent do help. Um, do help try and motivate you along the way, don't they? Yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely helps uh, massively. Um, and each time, you know, it's just like another notch in your belt, isn't it? Like, I'm there now, I'm getting towards my black belt. You know, it's like, as I was saying, there's another notch in my belt. I'll be, you know, I'm a, I'm a white belt and now I'm a red belt. And, and then before you know it, you're a black belt. And the journey is what got you there, right? It's the whole journey that got you there. It's not that you woke up one day, you became a black belt. It's it's the whole journey. It's the knockbacks, isn't it? It's the, and I think that's where you learn the most. I think it's it's the knockbacks that teach you the most in life, I think, and in, 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 in work and in fighting. Uh, you know, you lose a fight. Well, what happened there? You know, what did I lose? Why did I lose? All oh, right, that's why I lost. What well, I better get better at defending or whatever it was you lost that. You know, and same in life, like in projects. You know, not all my projects have been successful. Um, I haven't lost any big money or anything, but they've not all been successful. Um, and I just think, okay, where did it go wrong? You know, uh, how can we improve on that next time? Um, yeah, so I just think that the whole journey of of having these little goals and learning from your setbacks is is what makes you get there in the end, I think, and just keep going. <laughs> Don't quit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, and it's also hard as well, because obviously, like, it's... Like, have you ever seen... Um, do you watch the Diaries of a CEO podcast with Stephen Bartlett? No, I haven't seen that, no. So he does one with um, Joe Charlie Sloth, the DJ, the radio, uh, radio DJ, Charlie Sloth. Yeah. So he done a podcast with him. And um, he turned around and said, uh, every every person in business wants to quit at some point. Like, every yeah. single person, no matter what. I mean, it's just obviously the ones who don't quit who go through it are the ones what sort of end up yeah. making it. Like, yeah. what, when you're going through that, that you want to quit and you think it's all getting hard, like, what, how do you continue to like, to carry on? Like, how, how have you done it? I'm sure there must have been days before I can't do this anymore, especially in the beginning. Like, how have you yeah. to just just carry on and think, no, do you know what? I do want to achieve this goal rather than doing a 360 and going into something else. I, yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, I think I think my training has always been a support for me. It's like a get out for me, training. It just clears my mind. So, yeah, I had times when I was building my house as well and I've, I've, I've overspent a lot <laughs> on my house. And... Uh, Funds were drying out. Um, I was working all the hours under the sun just to be able to pay two mortgages because I lived in an obviously I had somewhere to live. And then obviously I was building my house. My wife was pregnant. It was it was tough. It was bloody tough. And there was times where things went wrong and I got delayed. And uh, uh, I just used to um, 
I think accept accept the fact first of all, can get over it. You know, like I said, no point crying over spilt milk. It's happened. Okay, it's happened. Right then, I'll go and hit the gym, <laughs> clear my head, because I just feel like when you when something goes wrong, you, you obviously you get down, you get angry. It's all a process, right? But I think you need to clear your head because then you can think straight. So I would go through those emotions. I'd be like, oh, fuck, did I do the wrong thing? You know, I'll question it. Maybe I shouldn't have been, you know. And then you, um, you know, you get over it, then you get angry. <laughs> you get angry about it. And then I go and let my frustrations out <laughs> in the gym, uh, let, let, get the endorphins going, clear my mind, de-stress, basically. And then once I felt de-stressed, I'd be like, right, okay. Let's let's go. Let's do it again. Like what did what did I what I done wrong? I done wrong. Fine, done wrong. Things happen. Make mistakes. Right. Let's uh let's crack on. Let's go. This next uh, tomorrow's another day. You know, just start again. And, mm. and that's what gets me through it. Just day by day. Like I said, it's, it's the little things. Day by day is, is take each day as it comes. You know, deal with it. Don't be scared to be down that day. You know, if it's if it's a bad day, it's a bad day. You know, go with it. It's a bad day. Okay, it's a bad day. Tomorrow will be a better day. And mm. then. But I definitely think training helps. Well, for me, it does. In anything in my life, I've had, you know, I've, I've had things go, I've gone through in my life, and I just found that um, I've got my little gym now. I've got my little, I've got my little gym now, so which is great. And uh, I just go in there, and my wife knows. I go, she knows when I've had a bad day. Something's <laughs> <laughs> gone wrong. I just go in the gym, spend a couple of hours in there. I come back, and then she knows she could talk to me. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was just good. Sorry. Good little system you got. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I definitely think it de-stresses me. And and over the years, um, well, I was personal training as well. So I had clients, um, the ones that were like high-end uh, clients, uh, like high-end jobs, like global heads of like big big investment banks, and uh, in charge of like sixty billion hedge funds and things like that. That's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure. They're not coming see me. And uh, hit the pads with me, um, and at the end of it all, go. Oh, I had such a bad day, smashing those pads. They said it's amazing how your body releases those endorphins, and and like right, I feel ready now to like go back into work tomorrow and, and just crack on and, and sort out the mess, you know, sort out the problem. And, and I do believe uh, a lot of CEOs or business people are highly motivated. I think have. Uh, you know sports background helps i think if you've been sporty whether it doesn't matter if you was a kid when you did it or somewhere in your life if you've been involved in sport i think it gives you that structure and i think it translates over to business and i see a lot of successful people that i talk to now they've somehow or another been involved in sport in some way uh, as a kid rugby or football or something where it was like structured competitions and you can see it translate over into business definitely they're normally highly motivated people that just want to get on with it. Yeah, um, I agree with that. So obviously, I played. I've been playing hockey since I was three, and there's yeah. not many, not many hockey players I played with who aren't doing well now. Don't get me wrong, it's some. I played with a lot of people over yeah. years, but it's weird as well. The ones who was better at hockey <laughs> seems to be doing better in business now. Yeah, um, yeah. and I think that's again, it's just a discipline and the structure to. To become yeah. a, so, I represented my country. I, I played yeah. uh, obviously pro at sixteen. Played at a high level. Yeah. And the guys who who were on the same level as me, in the same path as me, they're all doing really, really well now. And you think, yeah. it, it definitely shows that you, they needed that discipline to become where they got to in the sport. 
and then they've just yeah. used that to translate into to whatever kind of industry they've gone into now. I hundred percent yeah. agree with you. Sport is such a vital thing for for anyone in life. Definitely, hundred percent. That's why I think schools. Uh, I know you get PE and that, but I think I think a lot of uh, schools nowadays they they do push sports in schools, don't they? Because I think they they a lot of private schools around this way. They're, they're sporty now as well. They're not just academic, academic. I think they've they've realised that okay, you need to be academic, but at the same time, if, you, if you've got that sport background, uh, it does translate over straight away. And there's certain things, uh, you know, pen and paper that don't, you, you don't learn, do you? Like that you learn in sport that, and you can't learn that from just being academic. You, you learn that through literally playing sports and the, like I said, the structures in sport and just hands-on effects. And, and then and then just marry the two together and nine times out of ten you end up doing all right <laughs> yeah. I actually I'm a big believer that I think they should bring boxing back into schools yeah, yeah. Um, just just because I think life humbles you so quick as soon as you start yeah. getting a bit above yourself you can get humbled and I think yeah. if you're like if you learn to box in school Again, you yeah. can get humbled so quick, but you're in a, a yeah. controlled environment. You're young enough for it to sort of bounce off you, but learn yeah. that lessons of things can go wrong. Things are, yeah. are going to go. Life's going to punch you in the face harder yeah. than anyone else is going to punch you. So if yeah. you can learn to take it when you're in school and and get through yeah. it, whatever comes <laughs> at you in life is is going to be a dod- well, not a doddle, but you're going to be able to no. handle it a lot easier. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. That's well put. I totally agree with that. Um, it does humble you. <laughs> it does, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think uh, yeah, I think boxing in schools will be brilliant. To be honest, I think it's good. Mm. Um, I know some people don't view it like that, but I think it's it's those people who have never been involved in any sport that they don't get that. They don't get it. But um, I said the people around me that have been involved in sports. Uh, Especially contact sports and that, like, um, like even rugby, and, and they definitely you can see it in them. You can see the drive in them. You can see how they're motivated, and you can see that they they're used to taking a knock, and they know that they can just get back up and carry on. Yeah, you know, where if you haven't had that knock and you've been like wrapped up in a cotton wall, that's not good. And, and I don't do that for my kids, but both of my kids do kickboxing. I've got a girl and a boy. They both do kickboxing, and I, I started them off straight away. Kickboxing and gymnastics, just to get that um, athleticism from gymnastics because it's great, and obviously the kickboxing, uh, again, great. It's just um, you know taking the hits, taking the knocks, getting up again, uh, gives you confidence, doesn't it? Like I mean, like if you know you could, you know, if you know you can handle yourself nine times out of ten, you walk away, don't you? Unless someone's right in your face and you have to defend yourself. That's but you know when you can, most people that tend to the first punch is because they're scared and they don't know what they can do they don't know they can't fight <laughs> basically yeah. you know but when you can fight and, you, and you've got that confidence um and i think it comes across in business as well you know when, when i'm in a i've been in a room adam knows i've been he, he sort of threw me in the den once uh he was trying to get me he was trying to get me to like uh become a member of something and um he put my name out there and then they invited me to the board of directors meeting. Now I thought I was going to be listening. I wasn't told I had to participate. <laughs> uh, and then I sort of was sat in there thinking, yeah, I'm going to listen to what these guys have got to say. And then it's like, so Chris, what are your views on, you know, and I was like, oh, um, okay. And I think where I'm used to, like I said, again, like I'm just, I'm quite a confident guy anyway. I just was like, okay, cool. Like this is, you know, I didn't expect that curveball, but you know, it is what it is. Let's just, uh, 
get on with it, you know. And yeah. I think sport teaches you that as well, you know. It teaches you those curveballs, doesn't it? Like, yeah, 100%. Um, I, I had something similar. I, uh, it weren't quite as big as what you've done, but my yeah. friend of mine goes to like a networking event. It's quite a big one. I can't remember what it's called now, but it's, well, I think it's in multiple different countries. It's huge. They have like 100 members go um, to each each event. So he was like, yeah, yeah great. Like, come here and listen to it. And if you want to join up, you can be part of this networking group and all that. It's a good few years ago now, probably about six, five, six years ago. Yeah. So I was, I was sitting there, they was all standing up, doing a little presentation on what they do as a business and things like that. He went, he literally whispered, he was like, oh, I forgot to tell you, you're going to have to give a presentation as well. I was like, oh, all right. Yeah, cheers, mate. He went, you're all right. I, mean, I went, yeah, I'm going to have to be. You know? yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I had like, 100 people give a presentation on what I've done for work. And then shut that down again. I went, oh, I've done really well. I was like, jeez. Wish you told me, but all right. But yeah, you just said, like, you just, whatever comes at you, you just got to accept it and you've got to take it. I think there's nothing worse in life than losing, I mean, there's nothing worse in life than losing a fight. Like in sports, sorry, than losing a fight. There's nothing yeah. worse um, in a team sport than losing a playoff championship or, or yeah. a cup. Do you know what I mean? There, that to me is the most devastating feeling you can ever feel within your sport. So yeah. then, once you sort of done that enough times, which everyone in sport has <laughs> lost a hell of a lot, losing yeah. like anything else, what kind of comes what you could sort of lose. Like if I stumble my words, even on podcasts. I, I, yeah. I worry every t- not worry but I get a bit nervous every time because I think well what if I stumble my words or what if I forget what yeah. I'm saying or what if I can't get yeah. a conversation going yeah. but it's just throwing yourself in the deep end whatever happens happens yeah. and they, we're all human we'll mess up exactly everyone makes mistakes right uh, yeah. everyone does I don't know anyone who hasn't made a mistake well I said uh, that to Adam and he said he's never made a mistake so <laughs> 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 uh, he's made many mistakes. Adam <laughs> uh-huh. told me to uh, ask you something. Yeah, go on. You have an owl with an interesting name. He said, "Tell me the story about the owl with with an interesting name or interesting yeah. story." You've got an owl or something? No. He said, you have an pet owl. owl? A pet owl? Yeah. No, I haven't got a pet owl. He's right up here, isn't he? <laughs> I don't have a pet owl. I, I was thinking, owl. I was like, that's proper random, but Adam's got some proper random mates. <laughs> <laughs> He's stitching you up, mate. Uh, oh, sorry, this bit's going to be cut out. I don't have an owl. We'll cut this bit out and don't tell him. I'll make out of the end. He's a kid, isn't it? A pet owl. I don't have a pet. I don't even have pets. I don't even have a cat or a dog. I don't have any pets. <laughs> um, did he actually say a pet? Did he say an owl? Yeah. Oh yeah. He sent me a voice note. and said, um, he said, oh, good. In, like, if you're struggling for conversation, I mean, good, good, uh, good facts about uh, Christoph. He's got a pet owl with a really interesting name. Like, it's a really cool. Like, the name goes with Harry's got this owl. <laughs> I was like, oh, all right, cheers, mate. Anything else? And he went, I think of St. Kelsey in a minute and it never come back to me. He's <laughs> fine. He's stitched you right up. <laughs> <He's> a... <laughs> no, no. I don't, I, don't, I don't even have a dog. <laughs> I don't have any meat. I don't have any pets. <laughs> but Al. Oh, he's funny. He's funny. <laughs> oh. What's up, Steve? 
Um, yeah, I think I think that's pretty much sort of uh, covers <laughs> covered everything apart from the owl. I was gutted about the owl. Yeah, always, always yeah, yeah. And he did throw me on the floor like I said the other night. Oh, did he? <laughs> They all kept going on about it. Can, do you reckon someone like me could take you down? I was like, no, no, no. Yeah, but what if I'd done this and what if I'd done that? I was like, no. And then he came bulldozing at me. And as he came at me, I thought, so if I turn here and like let him have the full brunt, he's going to proper stack it hard. Because it was on concrete, right? It was outside the pub. Yeah, it wasn't like it was on a soft side. We were both all drunk. And I just thought, ah. Oh, I just as he came into me, I just sort of rolled back and uh, broke, done a break for, and then he made his night. Honestly, you should have seen his little face. <laughs> you should have, you should have just turned him. Let let life humble him. <laughs> yeah, I, you know what? That's all I had to do was just turn him. Like, I just felt bad. I don't know. You know what? I'm a happy drunk. That's the problem. I don't get, I don't get aggressive. I get happy. With it. I get. I'm like, I love you and all that when I get drunk. So I think. I just felt for him. I felt for him. I thought, oh my god, he's gonna proper smash. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, I get that a lot as well. Like people, I'm so I'm only I'm only five five seven five seven and a half on a good day, but uh, <laughs> like as soon as people find out you box or hockey, they want to yeah. challenge you. That really winds me up. I want to challenge you, yeah. They do <laughs> every time. So like, okay. like, I had someone the other day. I reckon I could uh, beat you in a boxing match. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have a box? No. Okay. <laughs> if you think you can, you can. Sure. Like I don't yeah, care. <laughs> Got nothing to prove to you. But if you want to, you want to do it, yeah. we'll do it. <laughs> I know. I know. It's it's weird. It is weird. When I was like, I worked in gyms, like, in the gym, and uh, um, yeah, I was uh, I'm six foot, but uh, I was big. I was like sixteen and a half, seventeen stone for a long time. Well, I fluctuated between sixteen and seventeen stone for a long time. But you do get. Uh, well, a lot of people didn't know uh, at the time, so I don't go around saying I've done MMA and whatever. I just I keep myself to myself. But mm. I had some guys like, oh, you're big, but can you fight? <laughs> I'm like, why would you even say that to someone? Like, you know, why would you go up to someone? Because they're, they're tall and they're quite, you know, because I've done weights. And I'm, they say, yeah, oh, you're big, but can you fight? I mean, what sort of conversation is that? Weird. I was like, actually, I can. Yeah. And they'll be like, okay, oh, yeah, I actually can. I'm just like, you know, what, 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 oh, yeah, we didn't know you. I, said, well, I don't really know you that well. I'm not going to start telling you what I do. I just, I can, if, if you need to know, I can fight. And then I said that. And actually once, and I'll tell you this story, actually, it was, uh, so I, the gym was Virgin Active in Chigwell. And... Um, the one next to uh, Top Golf. Yeah. 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 And... Um, Everyone knew me as Big Chris there. Like, big Chris, Big Chris. And um, I was upstairs on the gym floor uh, training someone. Uh, and then downstairs on reception, uh, I heard like a commotion. Um, I just heard uh, people shouting. And uh, I looked over to see. I couldn't see much. And then uh, one of the receptionists, one of the girls, she went on the tannoy and said, uh, Big Chris, can you help? Big Chris, can you help us? I thought, oh, fuck, something really is going on. I mean, they called the police in the meantime, but... They just so yeah. come running down the stairs, and uh, we've got the turnstiles there. Come running the stairs, say, "What's going on? What's going on?" I said, "Oh, this guy's um, gone into the ladies and broken uh, into all the lockers, and he's and he's he's got like uh, three or four car keys." Anyway, he had women running out with towels around them, half naked, because <laughs> like, we chased up. So then this geezer was in the foyer, and uh, everyone remembers this. I, I don't remember doing it, but as soon as I said it's him, I just. 
I hurdled the, I don't know how I hurdled the turnstiles. I literally hurdled them, like an Olympic athlete. I can't hurdle for, for shit. <laughs> I hurdled them and uh, I grabbed his geezer and I literally, you don't realise when your adrenaline is buzzing and you also don't realise, um, you know, because when, you, when, you, when you're sparring and you're fighting, you're fighting against other MMA fighters, they, 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 they're grounded, aren't they, as well? And they, they know what they're doing. And nine times out of ten, you find people, you fight with people with similar weight category. This guy was my height, but it was like a bean pole. I've, I, I, I grabbed him and I lifted him, but I, I was, I lifted him so much, I came off the ground and I suplexed him basically, and I landed on top of him, and he landed head first, knocked him spark out. And when I landed on him, he broke my fall basically. And then, and then uh, there was old Bill there came and all that, and I was holding him down. And uh, the police got him, and actually the police were after him. He he nicked a hell of a lot of cars in that. Yeah, and he got done eventually. Um, and that's when I re- that's when people realised like, oh, this can uh, it, where did you learn how to do that? I started doing MMA. <laughs> <laughs> so like that's like a scene out of a film. You just came out of nowhere, hurdled the bloody turnstile like it was some Olympic, and then just grabbed his geezer. And just suplexed, but I was like watching WWF or something, <laughs> and I was like. And I did it all without even thinking. It's just like just split second stuff. Like, yeah. Where my training was, yeah. And then, 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 then after that, people were like, "Oh, Chris can, Chris can fight." You know, he can. He's not just big. He can. He can actually fight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I always go. So obviously, I'm the smallest out of all my mates. All my mates are like around six foot, six foot plus, and I'm yeah. always been the smallest. But I'm the, I'm probably the most aggressive. When St. Kappa's, I'm then the most aggressive one because this. Right. Yeah, yeah. But like no one obviously knows that they just see like the, the small guy. We've had so many <laughs> arguments where it's like yeah. someone turned their attention onto me because I'm the small yeah. guy and I'm the easy yeah. target, not realizing yeah. I'm the one who actually loves fighting more than anyone else. <laughs> but it's, like, it's just like it's mental. I just think people who can or know how to how to handle themselves aren't like that in real life. They like no. you'll never see someone no. who's a good boxer or a good MMA fighter ever start a fight because they know what they can do it's always yeah, the exactly who can't fight want to start all the fights you think you yeah. can't even fight they run at you and they give it like one of them it's just, <laughs> what are you doing? exactly what you're doing exactly <laughs> i was out with adam once I, I can't remember the location but i was out with Adam drunk and i think someone someone knocked into me or something when we was out in the bar and, and they were giving it a bit and i just i literally i didn't even rise up i just turned around or something adam was like you can wipe the floor with him can't you i went and he goes, don't let him get away with it. <laughs> don't let him repeat you and say that. I was like, mate, uh, I'm too old for that. I know. Yeah, what's the point of wiping the floor with him and then what, spend the night in the cell? I said, like, what's the point? <laughs> the only person who's going to get in trouble is me at the end because I'm going to end up doing something to him. I'm going to end up getting nicked. <laughs> yeah. So Adam can take your dad now so he can handle it. Exactly. That's what I <laughs> His little face lights up every time that he tells that story. <laughs> That's his claim to fame. Yeah. He took down an MMA fighter. <laughs> Do you know what his uh, favourite film is? No. Princess Diaries 2. He never told me that. Yeah, that, I'm telling you now because of fucking Alfie. <laughs> <laughs> Princess Diaries 2, right. you remember that. Yeah. Remember. I'll be proper giving it to him. Proper giving it to him like that. Mate, the owl thing, he's probably... <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can't, I don't want to tell him either, because he's just going to get an ego about that. 
Yeah, he will get any go about that, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) We should get up for a beer one night, us three, and uh, get him to attack us, and we'll just step out of the way this time to humble him a bit. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I might just do like hockey fire, put his shirt over his head, let him run run around. Like a penguin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Chris, well, thanks, thanks for today, man. I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but no, no, thanks for having me. No, I really so enjoyed much. it. Yeah, really enjoyed it, mate. Um, definitely, we'll we'll go out for a beer. Um, definitely. What I do as well, I've got like an online uh, magazine part of the uh, podcast. And I can do like a quick fire question thing. So that's like a bit yeah. more about you, how to get in contact with you. So like say people got like land. It's to try and help yeah. people like do deals and networking, things like that. So oh, like, cool. your, like Instagram or your website or email or whatever yeah. it is. Um, that yeah, yeah. goes in the magazine. Plus like quick fire questions so I get to know you better as well. Um, yeah. So if you're happy being in that, I'll send you over the questions. Yeah, um, send it over. Yeah, no, thanks for that. Yeah. Yeah, perfect. All right, lovely. Chris, well, thanks very yeah, much, thank mate. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much. Nice talking to you. You too, mate. See you soon. Cheers. See you later. (laughs)